Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. You can learn more about us, about the Yoga Hour podcast at our website, theyogahour.com. Our topic today is connecting with the deeper wisdom of yoga. We will be discussing how to deepen and enliven your yoga practice beyond the mat through the profound spiritual philosophy and enriching practices of yoga. I'm so delighted to be joined today by Pamela Selig. Pamela began her yoga journey in 1991 when an illness interrupted her Wall Street career. The practice of yoga helped with her recovery and led to a lifelong pursuit of perceiving and sharing yogic wisdom. Pamela's roots are with the Integral Yoga Institute, and she is a certified IYI Hatha, Raja, and meditation teacher. She is author of the recently released book, Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. You can find out more about Pamela Selig, her teaching, and her book at her website, PamelaSelig.com, and her last name is S-E-E-L-I-G. PamelaSelig.com. You can find her on Facebook, Pamela Selig Author, and on Instagram, Pam Selig. So welcome, Pamela Selig. I'm delighted to have you join me today on the Yoga Hour. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So before we dive into our conversation about connecting with the deeper wisdom of yoga, let's dive in to a yoga moment, a moment of present awareness. Om. Let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing, and just bring our attention to the body, feeling the body in space, and in particular, feeling whatever surfaces are supporting our weight. Where are your feet? What parts of your body are supported by the chair if you're sitting? just feeling our bodies in space. And then bringing the attention to the breath. It's wonderful tools always with us. And just noticing the next time you inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feel the air that it's been warmed as it passes through our lungs. 
And just noticing this natural flow of our breath, not trying to change it, but just following the breath as we rest here. Here's something to contemplate from the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Balanced living requires restraint, yet it opens the body and mind to unbounded spiritual energy and freedom. It brings forth an experience of unrestrained aliveness, akin to standing in a vast open meadow in full bloom, teeming with new life. Balanced living requires restraint, yet it opens the body and mind to unbounded spiritual energy and freedom. It brings forth an experience of unrestrained aliveness, akin to standing in a vast open meadow in full bloom, teeming with new life. Once again, Pamela Selig, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm really delighted to have you on the show and to discuss your lovely book, Threads of Yoga, with you. I really appreciate how you bring in the wisdom of yogic philosophy into, um, in so many ways into yoga practice. So it, uh, I, it was really um, a pleasure for me to see how rooted the book is in the foundational practices of yoga that are described in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And as I as I mentioned in the opening here on the Yoga Hour, we really do explore yoga in all its depth and breadth. And the sponsor of our podcast, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, is a meditation and spiritual practice center, which focuses on the practices of Kriya Yoga from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So, so it was a common route that I really appreciated. So um, just to begin the show, what was your introduction into yoga? Can you tell us more about that? Oh, sure. Yes, I feel like with my roots in integral yoga and the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, we are related in a way. That's right. Peasants, <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I really uh, was introduced to yoga through an illness. Uh, back in the 80s, I was uh, working on Wall Street, not necessarily living a very balanced lifestyle at that time. And uh, one day I woke up and I had Bell's palsy which is not life-threatening and really not that uncommon, but it's quite dramatic where half of your face is paralyzed. So I was really stopped in my tracks. And part of the process was there's nothing you can do about it. You just have mm -hmm. to wait. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't very good at that. <laughs> um, some people um, have a good recovery, some partial, some you know don't recover. So it is, it is also frightening. Um, one doctor sort of took pity on me and asked if I ever had tried meditation. So I was desperate. Um, and I don't think I would have turned in this direction uh, for any other reason other than really being forced to. Like, I think it's so many people's stories, you mm -hmm. know, when it comes to, to uh, coming to yoga or meditation. So I did begin meditating and I found that I really loved it. And it helped me in so many different ways. I didn't know at that time that meditation was a central aspect of yoga. 
-hmm. I started to have, you know, some experiences after a little bit of time. And when I asked uh, doctors or healers that I was seeing what was happening, I was told to study yoga, to look at yoga. And I thought, that's odd. Yoga, I thought, was about bendy pretzel postures. But when I read some more uh, sort of philosophical books, at that time, this was pre-internet, I found that a lot of what I was experiencing was very typical and it was all about yoga. So, so that really was my introduction to the, the world. And I'm now very grateful. I, I had a decent recovery, um, so I'm very grateful for that, but also for the fact that it opened this, this door or universe for me into this world of, of uh, going within. What inspired you then to write this book? on the deeper threads of yoga. And I actually love how you bring in threads, which of course, uh, sutra, the meaning of the word sutra is thread. Um, So you can tell there's an association there with yoga sutras. And then I love how you use the word weave into your practice. So you've got the the whole thread, (laughs) thread idea really going on in the title there. Yes. Well, I have to thank my publishers for that. They're so good, but um, Shambhala. But um, I wrote the book because 15 years ago, when I began teaching, I really wanted to bring this into what was so popular with, was at that time, especially was the physical postures, uh, the physical practice in classes, which I also loved. You know, mm-hmm. after a while, I did get into the physical poses and, and uh, you know, we're all so sedentary, you know, in our cars and at our desks. It really was terrific. I don't want to discount the postures in any way. But what really drew me in was the transformative aspect of working with the mind. So I was trying to weave that into my classes mm-hmm. and I found it was harder than I thought. It was actually mm-hmm. difficult. I was awkward or clumsy. So I was looking for a book um, to help me with content and you know how to sort of get, get it into class, this information that I knew that students really craved also. I really couldn't find the book that I was looking for. There were some good books out there, but but nothing that I thought specifically for a teacher to bring this in. Um, so I thought maybe I could write that book. Mm-hmm. And then as I was writing it, I, I really felt like it was for more, for students as well, practitioners who just wanted to learn a little more than what they can get in a typical 60-minute, 90-minute class. Mm-hmm. So... So that was really what inspired me and made it so much fun to write. And it is a wonderful resource, as you mentioned, both for yoga teachers, but also for anyone who has a a physical yoga practice, a Hatha yoga practice, a way to really understand it at a deeper level. In the West, as you mentioned, many people only know yoga as physical practice rather than as an ancient spiritual philosophy. When you describe yoga, how do you describe it? Well, I go back to and refer to uh, the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, where the second sutra in book one, uh, Patanjali writes, yoga is the quieting of the mind stuff or the cessations of the fluctuations of the mind. There's different translations, but it's really that quieting down of the mind. To me, that it's the practice of quieting the mind is yoga. Mm-hmm. And there's Patanjali lays out so beautifully how to 
the eight-limbed path. So whatever path you choose, however you find it works for you, uh, I, to me, yoga is the quieting, the practice of quieting the mind, but it is also the word yoga, the root is that yoke or union to join together, that state of yoga that does occur where we have that quiet, peaceful state of that mind-body-spirit connection, that access to all that is, that is also yoga. Mm-hmm. It's both the practice and the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's great to point that out. That I always actually love that about yoga is that it's the goal, that quieting of the mind stuff, and it's also the path. It's how you get there, and it's also where you get. So I really appreciate yeah. that about about the word. You have many practices in your book, and to just start out, you have one that's called that you call observe the inner thought stream. I thought that would be an interesting place to start. So would you go over that practice with our listeners? One of the reasons I, I enjoyed the, the um, practice is it is something that, that one could do anywhere at any time. So, Yes, sure. Well, the, this practice, I think, is so um, kind of fundamental because what was so transformative for me and a key teaching of yoga is this idea that you are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. When we say yoga is the quieting of the mind, it's also saying when you, if the mind is so loud we and we don't know we can quiet it, we may never know who we are. Mm-hmm. And we may think, in fact, if we don't know otherwise, that who we are is this mind, this chatter, this constant inner thought stream, mm-hmm. um, that that's who we are. We're our body and we're the, are these thoughts. And of course, yoga says, no, you're not. <laughs> that you are, much, you are much more than that. Mm-hmm. But in order to experience that teaching, that's just sort of the teaching, but now, then to experience it, there's many techniques. And one is just this basic, simple observing your inner thought stream, where you quiet the mind through maybe the first sort of basic way is connecting with the breath, bringing the mind into the body, making this mind-body connection. So feeling the body breathing, maybe with the ribs, feeling the ribs expand on the inhale and relax on the exhale. And expanding on the inhale and relaxing. So feeling the body breathing. So you're no longer in that thought stream. Your attention is in the body, feeling the breath. And from this place, from this space of feeling the breath in the body, you can observe the thoughts. There may be a lot at first, but with a little time, you can just begin to observe the thoughts from this space of feeling the breath in the body, feeling that the ribs expand and relax. And then after a a moment or two, you'll notice the thoughts. And you'll also notice importantly, that you're the observer of the thoughts, that in fact, you are not the thoughts. And that is sort of, we know the teaching, but that is actually experiencing and you can begin to integrate within your knowing this idea that no, you are not your thoughts. That's mm-hmm. just your thoughts. 
that's that's why I appreciated it. And it opens up that space for this idea of ourselves as the witness, witness consciousness, which is another whole chapter, uh, chapter in your book. We've talked about the um, the Yoga Sutra 1.2, which, as you mentioned, is the yoga is the quieting of the um, chitta vrittis, the you know the mental um, all our mental processes. And then Patanjali goes on in the Yoga Sutras to the next Sutra 1.3. So according to Patanjali, what happens when the mind quiets and why do you think that's important? Oh, I love this sutra. So yoga is the quieting of the mind. I got kind of hung up on that for a a few years or decades because that was such a concept and there's so many ways to practice that. But the very, very next sutra, tells us the why and Patanjali writes and then the seer abides in her true nature mm-hmm. and, and then the seer abides in her his or their true nature so when the mind quiets and may not quite completely that's we're not mm-hmm. talking about quieting completely that's that happens eventually but it's really quieting down mm-hmm then we can rest or abide in our true nature or who we really are. We can experience for ourselves. And I think it's kind of beautiful now in our culture where there's sort of slogans like be you, you be you, or be authentic, live an authentic life. And that's such a beautiful sentiment. But for most of us, it's, well, who am I? You know, like, and if you don't quiet the mind, you, you sort of don't know. And you mm-hmm. look outward for who you are. And our culture can tell us a lot of different things, some, some true, some not so true. And we can get easily lost. But when we quiet the mind and abide in our true nature, we find this source within, steady, peaceful source And from that place, we can direct our life from this deeper place, from this knowing, Mm -hmm. this place of connection. Mm -hmm. So that's really, it's hard to describe. Words don't really work, but that's what we're really quieting the mind for. Right. Really lovely, lovely explanation of that. I also love this sutra, and it points to something that I really appreciate about the yoga path, which is that it is an experiential path. This is meant to be experienced. It's not meant to, you know, you read the yoga sutras and you just say, oh, yeah, okay, that all sounds great. I accept it all. I mean, no, it's, it is a guidepost, a signpost, and when we read things like the yoga sutras, what can be really helpful then Um, As we, for example, continue to practice meditation, and then we have these moments, these experiential moments that you were just describing, that we do see through, we do have that experience, that direct experience of who we are, that then is a place where we can begin to live our life in a different, in a different way, from that deeper understanding of who we are. And this may sound... um, a little, um, I don't know, uh, difficult to experience. But what's interesting to me is it's actually 
if you devote yourself to meditation practice, it's it doesn't take that long to have an experience of, for example, being able to experience the witness consciousness, being able to experience that deep peace that you were that you were describing. And it just points to the importance of of having a meditation practice. So I thought I would ask about you that uh, that about you next, you know, or from you next. So what how do you encourage people to to do that? What do you say is the importance of having that regular practice? Well, I just want to say, I think I totally agree with what you were just saying about you don't, ha- it doesn't, you don't have to, it's not that difficult to have an experience. It's, you don't have to be a perfect person or right. incredibly holy and all those things. It really is just some, just some, a little bit of a dedication, intention really is it's not it's for everyone I feel like it's our birthright and Mm -hmm. in terms of encouraging people I really think this conversation that we're having now and letting people know about teachings like the yoga sutras that you are not your thoughts and then that this idea that first of all you can quiet your thoughts you may never come across that in, in your life, just in our typical culture, that that's even a thing that we want to do. Why would we do it? So mm-hmm. I think when people understand, wow, I can quiet my thoughts and not be kept up at night, you know, thinking worst case scenarios, like my mind is actually able to be trained to calm down. I think just educating people and letting them know that's even possible is first. Mm-hmm then this deeper spiritual path of, wow, you get to know your purpose and why you're here. It's not that far away from you. It's really just a sitting practice. Um, and you can choose your practice. There's lots of choices. There's nothing to believe in. There's no dogma. There's, there's nothing to change about you or in your life. Um, and when we have a meditation practice, what we're doing is practicing for our lives. We're here to live our lives uh, as optimally, as fully as we can. And having a meditation practice is just a way to enhance our own life. It's the practice of being more aware as we're in our job, as we're uh, raising a family, as we're transitioning to retirement, whatever. It's, It's just the way that we practice bringing in more awareness or being more who we are. And honestly, that's what the world needs is Mm -hmm. who we are, Mm -hmm. not who we think we should be. It's who we are. And this is the practice of finding that. Right. Which is one of the practices as set out in uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra at the beginning of uh, the second um, section of Yoga Sutras uh, describing Kriya Yoga as the path of three practices of self-discipline, self-study, and surrender. And what we've been talking about is the self-study part, the self-study part, which is, involves, of course, the questions like, who am I? And having those experiences that we've just been mentioning, but also the practice of, of reading scripture is part of that as well. And what I love about it is um, having those experiences. Then it gives some me some idea of what the heck just happened. 
second have read about it and then like, oh, that's what they were talking about. So that it's it's lovely how the study, um, this external study of things like the Yoga Sutras and then our internal experiences really go hand in hand, gives us a way of understanding and, and deepening and deepening our practice. And in many cases, you really make that um, easy with your book, with each chapter having quotes and having practices, you tie it to um, Hatha yoga practices, you tie these things to different uh, postures, um, the ideas about what you can do in Shavasana at the end of a, of a yoga practice. So all of those uh, things are really, are really um, helpful, I think, for people. Yeah, it sort of verifies um, the experience that we have when you see that wow, people have been doing this for thousands of years, <laughs> trying to calm their mind. It sort of puts you, it gives you a connection to, it's the human condition. It's not mm -hmm. just your mind is overactive. It's the human condition. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will get uh, discouraged, this idea of yoga as stilling the mind, um, these mental processes, these chitta-vrittis, uh, chitta being just the mental field and the vrittis being all of kind of the waves. Like I think you even use this analogy in the book, the waves on the surface of a, of a still lake. And so that prevents us from really seeing down into the lake, prevents us from seeing a reflect, clear reflection of whatever is, is um, um, mirrored in the lake. Um, and that this process is one that uh, allows those, those, fluctuations just to come to uh, come to rest but it can be frustrating at first especially if you're trying what's funny about it is you can't really try to make yourself <laughs> not think um the processes uh, that are outlined in the in the uh, eight limbs include just focusing for example focusing on the breath like you said and that just bringing your attention back and back and back to a focal point like that is what allows the um you know allows the the mental field to to settle yes it's it's this practice i find it the practice of relaxing it's not something i've our culture encourages really <laughs> but when you learn how to relax the body the mind will follow and it's this idea of relaxing and that can be quite quite a challenge yes <laughs> yeah i liked how you said that it's not one that our culture really encourages and with that we've come to the close of the first segment you're listening to the yoga hour i'm dr laurel trujillo host and producer of the show here with my guest pamela selig yoga and meditation teacher and author of the book we're discussing today threads of yoga you can find out more information about pamela selig at the website pamelaselig.com again s-e-e-l-i-g um, you can find out more information at our website theyogahour.com we will be right back let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from silent unity the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. 
Each prayer and meditation on Positive Prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open Positive Prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo. My guest today is Pamela Selig, S-E-E-L-I-G, and she is the author of the book Threads of Yoga, which we're discussing today. Pamela, I really appreciated your discussion of prana or vital force in the book, and I particularly liked your statement, when we see the twinkle in someone's eye, we're seeing prana. <laughs> when we see the twinkle in someone's eye, we're seeing prana. I, there's something about that that I thought was captivating. So would you describe more about prana for our listeners? Sure. Well, prana, the yoga tradition says it is the intelligent, creative life force. It's the energy that makes up the cosmos. It makes the planets spin, our hearts beat makes a seed grow. It's this animating force in the universe, but not just force. It is the energy that makes, makes up the universe. And then within our body, the ancient yogis really mapped out uh, the prana in the human body. In uh, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, which is another uh, ancient text, although not, not as old as the, the Yoga Sutras, uh, the yogis map out 72,000 nadis or pathways um, where the prana flows in the body. And this is very associated in traditional Chinese medicine with uh, meridians and the pathway of qi. And most traditions actually have a word for this, this, uh, this life force uh, energy. Uh, and we've all probably heard of the chakras and the chakras are part uh, they're made up of prana within the human body. And we can do things to increase uh, our prana or vitality in the body, as well as decrease or, or drain the prana. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's pause there for a moment and hear more about that. So what are some activities that you encourage to increase our, our prana or vital force? Well, the yogis have really harnessed the, the power of the breath because, uh, Breath and prana are closely linked. So proper breathing, just general proper breathing, increases prana. This is one reason why just regular exercise is so good for us, because it really creates a, a lot of breath in the body and a lot of releasing of carbon dioxide, but also eating healthy foods, uh, plants that uh, have a lot of prana, fresh food that we eat brings in prana. Um, Spending time with friends or loved ones, um, it increases our prana. Walking in nature increases our prana. These are things that do that enliven us. Mm -hmm. So we kind of naturally know what that is. When mm -hmm. we feel good, we're mm -hmm. increasing our prana. Mm -hmm. Things that drain us 
or deplete prana are um, behaviors that just aren't healthy. Maybe being too sedentary, um, not being exposed to any to nature as much as we would like, um, negativity, things like gossiping, um, eating too much food or not enough food or unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. Um, that those sorts of things are um, are just draining draining for us. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as I was listening to, of course, I'm familiar with everything that you just mentioned as ways to increase prana. The uh, association though with the regular medical advice. So we are encouraged to not eat processed foods, for example. And when you think about that from the vital force, the we would imagine that the most vital force is going to be in the freshest, loveliest produce, for example, some really fresh salad or a really fresh, you know, broccoli, um, things that just kind of glow with that, with their own vital force. Whereas if you look at a package of chips (laughs) um, or uh, Doritos or, you know, lots of different processed foods, packaged cookies or whatever, you just don't get a sense of a lot of vitality, you know, there. And they still have, of course, they still have the macronutrients that Western, Western medicine and nutrition focus on. They still have the grams of of carbohydrates and they have the grams of fat and grams of protein, but there is this sort of essential quality to, to food that does bring prana into our body. And, and we feel it, right. We feel after we have some really delicious, fresh food that's been well-prepared because also the preparation of food can add prana to it, being prepared with love, that kind of thing. Um, can even bring more prana, and we feel it in our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's associated with also sunlight, and mm-hmm. there's an association. So the sunlight affects the plants, which are the closest to the light that we're bringing into our body. Um, it's obviously not scientifically measurable at this mm-hmm. point, so there is some mystery and some, but as you said, yoga is experiential, and we do experience this when we when we eat an incredibly fresh picked apple. We just we just can feel it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was also struck by the again the association of of Western medical advice for health about exercise, eating unprocessed foods. It, 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 there is a, a relationship, actually, to, as you were saying, increasing our prana just through these general, <laughs> this general medical advice. There is an association there. And it is interesting that this isn't something that is accepted within medicine at the moment, because when we, for example, when I was in medical school and did a dissection of a cadaver, of course, you can't see the, you can't see the chakras. They're not the visible part of the body. And we don't yet have, for example, an MRI or something similar that can look at vitality. For example, looking at places that are, that the energy may be blocked in, in the body, that's not something that we can do technically at the moment, although we may eventually be able to measure that. But it's interesting to me that both uh, traditional Chinese medicine, which looks at, as you mentioned, the flow of qi through the body, through the meridians, and these similar concepts in yoga and Ayurveda about um, 
the same idea of vital force, which it's called chi in traditional Chinese medicine, prana, as you were just mentioning in, in yoga and Ayurveda, and this idea that it does run through um, it does run through channels in the body. And I think that is a big part of the benefit that we get from going to yoga class is that we are working through a lot of these potential blockages due to muscular tension in the body and allowing more the free flow of prana, which is one reason I think people feel so great at the end of a yoga class that they've had a chance to do that. Definitely, definitely. Uh, the movement, when you look at, when you understand the the chakras, or, you know, just some basic information and then look at the postures, you see how each posture is really focusing on one or maybe two of the major chakras in the body. Even even sitting in a meditation seat, we, we sit with a tall spine because of that current of energy that runs the main current along like the spinal uh, cord and superimposed on that area. We don't want to block that. So that's even our meditation seat is encouraging the flow, our meditation current of energy. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens, of course, it, at least in most yoga classes, is an association of then the breath, you know, with movement. So more conscious breathing as we are moving. And as you mentioned, then that is really potentially increasing the flow of prana in the body by really bringing our breath and our movement together in the moment in a particular, in a particular pose. And you actually have some kind of cool exercises in the book about feeling that. And um, yeah, maybe take a moment and just talk through one, the one where you, you know, rub your hands and then, you know, get feel of the energy between your hands. Do you want to talk about that and maybe yeah. tune at the beginning of the class and then at the end of the class? Yeah, when we talk about prana, I think it's great for teachers to just have people hold their hands up a few inches apart, palms facing each other before you begin class and just kind of notice if there's any relationship from palm to palm and then put that aside, have a nice class. And then after class, after maybe a brief meditation, do the same thing, hold the palms up. Most students will feel an energy almost like it feels almost like there's a little bubble between your palms when you press in and out and in and out there's there's a feeling of energy there and at first many students are amazed because they just did this and they didn't feel anything so you can see that the yoga practice itself made you more sensitive to this energy this 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 prana in in the body so it's it's a fun uh experiential practice mm -hmm. So you mentioned chakras. We've talked about chakras a little bit already as being these energy centers within the body. And the term chakra is the Sanskrit word for wheel. We, when we read about chakras, as you describe them in the book, we can think about them as these spinning vortexes, vortices of energy with a variable number, but you point out seven main chakras along the spine, starting at the base of the spine and moving up to the crown of the head. And there are benefits, theoretically at least, to having our chakras remain open, aligned, and the energy passing fluidly through them. If I can quote the book, you write, bringing awareness to the chakras and energy body can help us achieve optimal health and well-being and further the awakening of our consciousness. Knowledge of the chakras can lead to a deeper understanding of, connection to, and appreciation of who we truly are. 
which is lovely. So would you say more about that for our listeners? Yeah. So understanding about our energy, our energy body, I it's okay if you never hear about it or know about this aspect of yourself. It's just part of who we are and it'll naturally flow with, with our lives. However, I think when I first learned about the energy body and chakras, it sort of explained a lot. It helped me understand you know, what was happening. And for instance, the, the seven main chakras along the spine that you know, most people are, are aware of, although we have many chakras within our body, just outside the body, but the primary ones, each are associated with an aspect of, um, of our, our personality or our mental state. Uh, for example, the root chakra at the base of the tailbone has to, has to do with survival and being grounded and feeling safe and secure. So if you're moving homes or having a very um, sort of a chaotic time in your life when you're uprooted, this may be a little off and you may find your balance is a little off. People tend to stumble or have a little accident. So just knowing that can help you maybe slow down and be more aware. Um, and then moving up the chakras, there are different chakras for different, we all kind of are familiar with the heart. Probably everyone feels heartbreak in that chakra, in that energy center. When we have a heartbreak, we tend to slouch. We kind of, because we're, we're closing it a bit. We need, that's a coping mechanism to sort of not feel quite as much, which, which is fine. Um, when we can't handle some what's happening, but over time we have to let that energy flow mm -hmm. so we don't have issues that hold on. Um, and so knowing these things about the chakras, I find very helpful. Also, just the idea that we are more than our physical body, that the physical body is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just what we can see and feel. But there's more to us than that. And mm -hmm. experiencing that um, helps us to just know that in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, and this idea that there is, um, there are benefits for our health, for example, for having that free flow of energy that the that there's one could say an energy architecture underlying the health of our of our body and that these i liked how you describe each one as having not just the physical um, attributes or associations with a part of the body but also the psychological associations as well so i thought it would be good to just choose one to talk about. And in the book, you go into a lot of detail. Um, we had talked a little bit over the break about which one you wanted to choose. And you mentioned you wanted to talk about the solar plexus chakra or Manipura. So let's uh, go over what, what I just mentioned, which is both the physical location of where it is and then the psychological part that's associated with it. Okay. So the Manipura uh, chakra is located in the solar plexus. So right sort of below the sternum there. And it's uh, Manipura translates as city of gems. It's considered our inner sun or fire. And it's our 
area of power. It's where we get our um, sense of self, our strong sense of self, our confidence, our courage, being able to stand in our in our own space. And I find you can feel this uh, like sort of acutely. If somebody says something to you that's in, like an insult, but it's it's a shock and it's like sort of at your core, it's almost as if you feel like someone punched you in the gut. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. whoa. And you feel like, wow, that hit you in this energy center. And I think a lot of in our culture, not so much anymore, but in the past, women were sort of subordinate. And a lot of women have a weakness in this area because when you're not uh, in charge or you feel disempowered and there's nothing you can do about it. Like if you're a, a youngster and someone says, no, you can't play that sport or, you know, that's for boys or whatever, it, it, it disempowers, it weakens this area. So, um, and it can lead to some feelings of maybe insecurity or just a lack of confidence or a lack of that get up and go energy. So things we can do to sort of reinvigorate, get more energy in this area are things like there's certain postures that give us a sense of power, the standing postures, the warrior postures, really beautiful. We're breathing, we're breathing into that, our lungs, into our solar plexus, arms raised, feet grounded, really brings energy into this area. Also, you, you can do things like journaling and seeing what, where in your life you're not stepping forward. There's fear. You're afraid of maybe not uh, succeeding and thinking about why that is. What would, why, why are you afraid? What is the fear? And then maybe taking steps and walking bravely into the fear. There are meditations that you can do where you imagine that inner sun on your inhale. And as you exhale, the light expands through the body. Inhale, that inner sun gets brighter exhale, it expands. So different exercises like this for each chakra. And when you learn about the chakras, you know which ones may be your issues. (laughs) Like you'll naturally (laughs) know like where, oh, I don't have that problem. I have that issue. Because we all are, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Yes. I've got the book open to the Manipura chapter. And in addition to the self-confidence that you mentioned that we can get from having a balanced solar plexus chakra signs of imbalance you mentioned in addition to insecurity, but also digestive issues, lethargy, lack of focus, and even insomnia can be a reason that you might want to add a little bit more attention to your solar plexus when in your, in your practice. In addition to the standing postures, what are some other postures that would be helpful? You mentioned maybe the core strengthening uh, poses. Yes. Any posture that it affects your core, as well as any exercise also that you do, um, you know, in the world, in your life, strengthening the middle of the body gives you a sense of physical strength. And that transfers over into your mental, emotional bodies. Because in yoga, uh, we don't just have a physical body. We have uh, an energy body, 
a mental and emotional body and a body that connects all. Um, so it's these sheaths that are sort of superimposed upon one another. So when you work on anybody, it, it is associated across all the bodies. So especially for this idea of strength, courage, strengthening this area of the body in any way, upward facing boat pose is a yoga posture, really focuses on this, uh, on this area of the body, will give a sense of strength that you can bring into your life we all can use now and then for sure. Mm -hmm. And then that one that we all love so much, the plank. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> but you can do it with your knees down. You don't have to do a full plank. You can do it with, you can your, do knees it with down. your knees down. And it's also yeah. just bring the awareness. I, I didn't mention that in, in when we talked about prana, how much prana is utilized by thinking. A lot of thoughts use a prana. So we gather our thoughts and we have awareness. We quiet the mind. We're increasing our prana. It's not scattered. Mm -hmm. So when we bring any, our thoughts to any part of the body, including the core here, we're bringing awareness. We're bringing prana attention to that area. We're healing. And also you mentioned briefly, but maybe could say a little bit more about the color that's associated you know, with oh, yes. because each of the chakras has a color as well. And so you mentioned it in the visualization of, of breathing in the yellow light, but could you say a little bit more about that? About Absolutely. So every chakra has a color associated with it. And that's really because of the vibration of it. So that when this, when the, it's two nadis, two energy channels meet, intersect. The energy then creates a spinning energy. And the vibration at which it does that is a certain color. Um, so the colors can change, they can move, but generally the body almost looks like a rainbow. Red uh, root is red, orange is the belly area, solar plexus yellow, heart green, sometimes pink. Blue is the throat, deep purple is the, the third eye, inner brain, crown is white. So that yellow is that vibrant energy that we need to, to get up and go, to move our will. Uh, uh, so the colors are a source, a sort of, you can associate it with that psychological aspect as well. Mm -hmm. And it can add some power to the visualization. I like the one that you described, which is, you know, breathing into that, into that area, into that solar plexus area and imagining that then the yellow light expanding through the body. That's a really nice one. Mm -hmm. And we are basically down to just the last minute and a half or so. So in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Thank you. I think that this idea this basic idea that you are not your thoughts, that you are behind or beyond or however you think of it, your thoughts. Even when you're in the moment of stress, when you're really in the life stuff, you may not be able to quiet the mind and that's okay. But knowing that that's there and at some point you're gonna get, you'll be able to touch into who you are again, I think gives hope and helps even when we're we're all in it sometimes we can't quiet but knowing that it's there is such a gift and eventually you'll find that peace again mm -hmm. what you just said reminded me of my favorite 
verse in the Bhagavad Gita 240, which is, uh, which says even a little bit of this practice of yoga, um, relieves great fear. And I so appreciate that. And that has been my experience in my 19 years now of studying yoga. I liked how you referred to it as a lifelong practice, because I certainly, for me, it has been, there's always something new to find, something new to explore in the practice of yoga. It's really been a pleasure, Pamela, to have you on the show. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. I am happy to have spent this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and we've been discussing connecting with the deeper wisdom of yoga with Pamela Selig, again, S-E-E-L-I-G, yoga meditation teacher and author of the book we're discussing today, Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your practice. You can find out more information about Pamela Selig at her website, PamelaSelig.com, and on Facebook, Pamela Selig Author, and on Instagram, Pam Selig. We will be posting links to these websites on our website at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Pamela Selig, for joining me today on the show. Thank you for having me. Join me next time on the Yoga Hour. Next week, when I'll be joined by Corey Hahn, author of the book Rituals of the Soul, we will be exploring how you can create a steadiness within, no matter what the turmoil around you. We encourage you to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Our programs include morning meditation, which occurs every day from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning Pacific time. Afternoon meditation from 4 to 4.30 p.m. and Sunday satsangs from 10 to 11 each week. So learn more about those programs at two websites, csecenter.org and for Yogacharya O'Brien, ellengraceobrien.com. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to check out our website, theyogahour.com, to learn more about the show, to access our library of podcasts, and consider sharing it with a friend if you're enjoying the show. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and as always, Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember... You carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. 